In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about fishy puns, outlining our sequel, living our archetypes, and manifesting Kelly DeVos in our discussion of Eat Your Heart Out by Kelly DeVos. Welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. And I'm Amanda. Claire. And today we're going to discuss Eat Your Heart Out by Kelly DeVos. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't in this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yeah, Especially definitely. listen. Especially listen to this yes. one. It's fun. It's got a full cast. It's very good. It's very, very, very well good. Done. I yes. very much enjoyed it. I did not yes. expect a full cast, but I got one and I'm very happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's good. It's really good. This is gonna be a long one, peeps. So settle in. It is, because there's your popcorn. multiple POVs and everyone has to have their moment in the sun and or their moment against the zombie and or some sort their, of redemption arc and or their violent grisly death yes i know all of those yes. things there's so many good things in this book <laughs> <laughs> so yeah let's let's see which one you if you survive to the end do you think that you're gonna survive i've, we'll survived, have to... I've survived this book twice me too me too i listened to it a few months ago and then i listened to it again for the for the show I've listened and read, so... Nice. I love that we get so obsessed with things. And listen and read multiple times. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. You cannot argue that we don't go into detail and the nuances and, you know, we we don't know our... We don't know our stuff. We know literally every single thing about every book we've ever talked about on the podcast. (laughs) I mean, the memory might be a little shady, I'm you know advancing in the years now (laughs) and we are getting old and decrepit it's fine it's fine so i read an interview on pinereadsreview.com about the archetypes and you know Mm. surviving till the end that we were just talking about a moment ago and what we also talked about in our social media would you rather yes and Kelly was asked, you're in a scary movie. Which archetype are you, and do you survive the movie? And Kelly answers, I like to think I'm the outcast, the person who is a little bit of a weirdo, but will ultimately survive. I've got some hidden skills, like my knitting needles, sticker collection, and coffee drinking will come in handy. Right? The sticker collection 100% will come in handy. I have a ridiculous amount of dice. You could scatter them on the floor. That's what I'm thinking. I have a ridiculous amount of wigs. You could scatter them on the floor. <laughs> I could scatter them on the floor. You could use them to make nests to sleep for the night. Yes. If it turns into a survival horror. I can also, disguise. you know, d- disguise myself. I mean, that's too obvious. It really is. And that's not the number one way one should use wigs. 
scattering on the floor and making a nest tied for number one. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like you make a trap, you dig a hole in the ground, and you, you cover just, the hole yes. with, with the wigs. Yeah. <laughs> weak twigs, just to carefully balance them. Yes, yes. When they don't weigh much, so. No, exactly, exactly. But you can get a lot of coverage when there's a lot of hair. Yeah. And then the zombies, or whomever is chasing me, would be like, hey, what's this pile of wigs? And then they walk up to it, and then they fall in the hole, and then they're trapped forever. That's Flawless. Not, Flawless plan. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. At least while they're down and trapped forever, they're going to have a lot of wigs with them as well to look fabulous. Yeah, they can have fashion shows by themselves yeah. in the hole as they slowly, slowly die. <laughs> what? Anywho, initial thoughts. <laughs> okay, so I love a good zombie book. And this one was recommended to me by a librarian friend. And so I'm really, really glad we decided to cover it. I think it's great. And it's also like, you know, got a heartwarming message. It's got several heartwarming messages, actually. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, oh, it, it's fantastic. You know, spoilers, I ridiculously enjoyed this book. I wouldn't have enjoyed it and read, like, I wouldn't read a book twice if I didn't enjoy it so much. Right. So, yeah, I really you, you would book. spite summarize it if you didn't like it. Spite summarize it. Get what you're given. <laughs> but no, you've got, like, pages and pages and pages. This is, this is going to take a while. <laughs> it's going to take at least two or three days. Right. <laughs> You know what? The very first line of the summary is a good, like, preview for the future. In the next few hours of the length of this episode, one of three things will happen. Being rescued, unlikely. Freezing to death, maybe. Or being eaten by zombies, most likely. With only five people left alive, trapped on the roof of a creepy laboratory at Camp Featherlight for overweight teens, the rest are already a part of the mindless horde, and one girl ready to give birth, yikes, a divine intervention does not look forthcoming. So, which role are you auditioning for in the real-life zombie horror movie that's happening around us today? Action Girl, The Basket Case, The Courageous Captain, The Jock, The Jerk, The Nerd, or The Outcast? think about it all episode long yes in the meantime let's go back in time (laughs) Vivian Erinshaw has a problem her mum married coach Haynes and he hates fat people therefore hates her despite Vivian being voted the captain of the soccer team hosting a successful fundraiser turning up for drills every morning and passing her physical flying colours she still hears his snide comments Vivian is confident in her skin and her body is no one's damn business. Now, Vivian is being shipped off to a ridiculously expensive fat camp for teens over winter break, Camp Featherlight. The van turns up, driven by a nice-smelling blue-eyed jock, and as they drive off, Vivian realises there is another person hiding in the back of the van, Alison Dumond. Alison Dumond was once Vivian's best friend. Now she is Miss Pariah to Vivian's Miss Popular. 
Allison's family can't afford her place at the camp, which Vivian knows, so she can only hope Vivian doesn't find out how she paid for the camp fees. Vivian asks about Allison's movie star sister and then points out that they don't belong at fat camp before turning back around. Hidden beneath her sweater, Allison has taped a camera to her belly. Steve Miller is in it for the money. The family farm is tied up in a lawsuit with nothing left over for college and he can't rely on a football scholarship. So here he is taking a job at Camp Featherlight for a bunch of whack jobs and white coats looking after people he doesn't believe should go to fat camp in the first place. Is fat camp like really a thing? Surely not. I mean, come on. Apparently so. It's terrible. There are still a couple more people to pick up on the journey from Phoenix to Flagstaff that will make up their pod. Yes, it sounds creepy. Yes, already. We're three minutes pod. into the book. Creepy. Pod. Paul Fannin wants to convince his parents that he is the future head of Fannin Pharma. As his mom lists off the grocery list of food she's packed for him, the van arrives to pick him up. Paul is going to Camp Featherlight to get an inside view of operations. His father told him that they've cured obesity, and it's Paul's job to report back on how the campers are responding to treatment. It was supposed to be his father's business partner's son doing the reporting, but he got sick, so now Paul gets to fill in. It seems Paul's father doesn't trust him, and he's the last resort. Paul has ideas on overweight people about putting down the tater tots and not being so lazy. (laughs) In the van, he believes Vivian's confidence is misplaced. As Steve drives carefully through the snow, they all get a message from the National Weather Service. A blizzard warning has been issued. Off the highway, a figure dashes past through the blizzard and the van slams to a stop. Then they hear a scream. Everyone is confused and scared. Was that a person? An animal? Paul thinks it's a bear, but Vivian, who is onto his bullshit, doesn't believe that for one second. Vivian and Paul attended the same fundraiser the year before, and he pushed her into a chocolate fountain. Dick. Apparently he doesn't remember her. She also knows his dad owns the fat camp, and that he's pretending to be someone else. Dick. Yeah. The argument persists over what the hell is out there, while Steve fails to reach the camp office and Allison sits stunned. Screw this. Vivian gets out of the van to explore. There is only one other way to find out what's going on. Steve follows quickly and Allison scrambles after. She's seen enough teen horror movies and knows not to stay behind. Allison tells everyone their horror movie role. Paul is the jerk. <laughs> Clearly. She is the basket case. Steve is either jock with the heart of gold or the courageous captain. And Vivian is, of course, action girl. Vivian soon loses the others in the blizzard and images of dead bodies flitter through her mind when the toe of her boot hits something. Then a voice from the snow tells her she shouldn't be out here. It's a ranger from the camp. Vivian explains their situation and they gather the others. While Paul is all smug, thinking the ranger was sent to help them, Vivian knows that the ranger is obviously not there for them. He's out hunting that thing. The ranger ignores Vivian as she asks him what exactly is out there and instead instructs them to walk to the camp through the snow. 
It takes about 15 minutes, and Paul isn't happy that the fat girl is managing better than he is, and he didn't drive his Porsche. I don't think a Porsche would manage well in the snow in the dick. first place. I mean, if it's all-wheel drive, it'll be perfectly fine, but still, dick. Mm. As they arrive at the gate, the guard, Roger, informs them that they're going to lock up for the night because of the blizzard. He also informs them that the power is out and the camp is running on backup generators. Great. It's just great. It sounds super safe and I'm super excited to be here. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they make it to their bungalow and the facilitator, Theodore, is waiting to give them a quick orientation. First, they need dry clothes, which the camp has graciously provided. Vivian and Alison head off, Alison locking herself in the bathroom stall. She doesn't want Vivian to see the bruises she's hiding. Unfortunately for Alison, she's forgotten the sweater, and when she ducks out, Vivian does see, and her face freezes in horror. Alison dashes off, bashing into Paul, who is hovering outside the girls' locker room. Vivian confronts Paul and lets him know she knows exactly who he is, that she would keep it secret. <laughs> At the dining table, they meet two other people who are part of their pod. A red-haired girl, Rachel Benedict, and a large guy with glasses, Sheldon Smitkowski. Theodore, the facilitator, hands everyone a tiny, terrible dinner and slams the Camp Featherlight field guide on the table. Time for awkward introductions, a crappy orientation video, and to surrender their electronics. Sorry, folks. No phones. No tablets allowed. Wouldn't matter anyway. There are signal blockers in every building. Looking up from the field guide, Vivian asks where everyone is. Sheldon tells them that they were put into lockdown after the blizzard started and someone got lost. Everyone can't help but notice how shifty Theodore is acting. Something is clearly wrong. Yes, and nobody it's a can thing. hide it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Steve is having his own orientation of sorts. He missed the group session and has been sent straight to Dr. Volstead, the camp director. He has kept waiting a long time before Dr. Volstead's PA, Zana, gives him a stack of file folders on his campus, a warning that his group is unbalanced but he has to deal with, and instructions to administer metabolize air bars to the campers after each meal when a call comes from the walkie steve is essentially dismissed what he hears is concerning dr volstead appears to be missing along with some of the other doctors no one has heard from the rangers sent out to look for the missing girl the mainframe is down with the virus and the backup generators are running out of power steve is dismissed with a warning that ellenshaw and smikowski are dis- destabilizers Great! That is great. He's got two in his pod. This is going to be such a fun time. It's going to be really easy and safe and everything's going to be fine. It's perfectly ethical in every way too. Yeah. Rachel Benedict has always been a good girl. Until that one time, uh, she wasn't. And now she's pregnant. Rachel has not been to see a doctor since she was 15 weeks pregnant, and now she's due in a month. For the most part, she's been able to hide the pregnancy from her family and her church. Sorry, I threw up a little bit. 
Rachel and Smitkowski explained that there was an announcement about a missing kid before they were ordered to stay in the bungalow, where they were pretty much forgotten about until the rest of their pod arrived. While Smitkowski points out that it's bizarre to randomly assign people to a group, Rachel points out that the camp has profiled them and grouped them together to complement each other, and says that she does that for her pastor father at church camp. But as Vivian and Allison know each other, an imbalance has been created, which is wrong. At this point, Steve returns and tells them they need to head to their bungalow. There's more than than one thing wrong happening here. Oh, there's multiple. There's a list. You can alphabetize it if you want. Good. (laughs) Sheldon Smetowski has unleashed a can of digital whoop-ass on Featherlight. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a douche. (laughs) He told his dad he wouldn't be staying at that damn camp, and all it took was a spearfish and a camp employee to install the malware, an Ethernet port to upload the virus, and the grid was down. What Smetowski didn't count on was a kid going missing, the camp going on lockdown, and a snowstorm being blown out of proportion. It also seems someone else took down the cell service and Wi-Fi. Normally, Smetowski knows everything about anyone within five minutes, but now he's flying blind. In all the time he's spent with Rachel waiting for the others, he can't get a read. But he knows every time she looks at him, she feels guilty. Mm. Kinda should, dude. Kinda should. Now she can't get her snowshoes on. She's red-faced and puffing and her dumb jock facilitator has to help her. The walk to the bungalow is weird. The snow shows no signs of letting up. The sun is going down, and there is only one person watching them walk by from another bungalow. The bungalow looks like it was designed by an expensive interior designer. Allison thinks it feels like a set. On one hand, that's great, but she wanted to make an expose on weight loss culture and privilege, with Vivian Ellenshaw taking center stage and being the hero everyone deserves. It would mend their friendship after she slept with Vivian's crush. The ragtag group she's stuck with makes her reassess her plans to a reality TV show where everyone grows and matures in an artificial environment. Allison already has her action girl, jock with a heart of gold, and jerk. Now she has the nerd and the outcast. It's time to capture the first shots, so Allison hides in the darkness of a bottom bunk and piles up pillows to conceal her camera. After a frankly non-confrontational scene about bunk assignments, Steve distributes the metabolized air bars and by rote explains the formalities of interviews and side effects. The bar looks disgusting and unnatural. It's like a fish, green with black lines through its yuck. Mm-mm. Rachel points out the packaging isn't labelled properly or, well, frankly, at all. But if it's a pharmaceutical, it should be covered. Surely, sure, this is all it's a bit fine. Fishy. No, I was no. Don't say it. No you one takes a bite. <laughs> but I'm so cringe. Steve is obviously out of his depth and tired. He just wants them to eat their bars and get their file set up. Vivian derails him by asking about the missing camper. He makes a deal. Help him get the file started and he'll tell. Agreed. Eventually, everyone is sorted and Steve explains what he overheard in Dr. Volstead's office. 
Alison asks, was that thing they saw when they crashed the missing girl? That's impossible. Suddenly, there is a banging startling everyone. It's just their dinner being delivered and a notice that lockdown will remain through the night. And now it's lights out. Seems like everything's going really well. This is so much fun! After a restless night, the group makes their way to the commissary, Steve having gone on ahead for a staff meeting. Everything seems normal. Other campers are dotted around drinking coffee, laughing, and goofing around. In the food line, one girl is bragging about losing 30 pounds overnight! (laughs) That's frightening. Vivian and Rachel point out that, um, that's impossible. Even Olympic athletes can't burn the calories that they're talking about. But the scales don't lie. Is it the fish scales from the bar? (laughs) 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 Fishy puns. All day long. Paul is excited that whatever his father has helped develop is working and they're going to make a ton of money from it. A boatload of money? At least a boatload of money. Is that fishy enough? It's it's ballpark. <laughs> At the... <laughs> Fuck. At their pod table, Steve comes over and hands them snowshoes for their morning walk, arranges to meet them in a short while, and avoids their questions before walking away. They note that he looks nervous. When they meet Steve, it turns out that their morning walk is actually a two-mile Easter egg hunt. But there's a special prize for any golden eggs found. It's not the season for Easter egg hunts. It's not. It's not really. They find seven eggs, but no gold ones, until Paul sees something sparkle in the snow. It's not an egg, though. It's a bracelet that's still connected to a wrist, with one of the fingers bitten off. The melting snow shows that it's Dr. Volstead. Oh, no. (laughs) The camp is in chaos. There's running, screaming, and slipping. Eventually, everyone is ordered back to their bungalows. Vivian and Allison inventory the bungalow supplies. Rachel looks through the paperwork for answers, and Paul and Smentkowski play cards. Meanwhile, Steve helps dig out and move Dr. Volstead's body. When he returns to the bungalow, he notices his room has been looked through, and their files are missing, but none of them admit to it. Steve also tells them that they couldn't find all of Dr. Volstead's parts. Ooh. She's missing her left arm and foot below the ankle. They want to evacuate the camp since the power hasn't come back on and phone lines are down, and he's also been put on patrol duty at the north gate. Vivian won't let him go alone, and despite his protests, she gathers a warm coat, supplies, and a yellow plastic oar as a weapon. Smintkowski volunteers to come, too. Should you move the body? I mean, the police? look, there is, as we have previously discussed, fishy stuff happening at this camp. So, of course, they're going to hide the body. I just think they're floundering right now. That's what uh, seems to be happening. 
everything's just it's just happening at a, a quick pace too quick a pace when they reach the north gate they come to the end of the ritzy camp facade and fine buildings are now made from sterile grey concrete blocks with barbed wire and notices stating we stuck to the area Smentowski hears the cracking of electricity and realises it's coming from the fence. As they explore, they find a cluster of facilitators outside a building labelled Kaiser, all looking flustered. Dr. Volstead's peer, Zana, hands Steve a walkie, hands out assignment instructions and tells Steve, Vivian and Smentowski to follow her. They end up at the north gate in front of two SUVs loaded with supplies and people. She's abandoning camp. <laughs> Jack... Steve won't let Zana take all the supplies and weapons and doesn't believe she will send help back. Steve points out that once outside camp limits, they'll have access to cell phone signals and can call for help, but Zana protests that they can't be sure. Vivian realises Zana knows more than she's saying and demands she tell them what is out there, but she doesn't know exactly what it is. One of the guards they met earlier, Roger, goes to the SUV, hands Steve a shotgun and ammo and promises to send help back. There is no stopping the SUVs, but Smentowski makes sure to close the gate after them. As they watch the cars drive off, a primal scream echoes through the trees. And it's coming for them. Oh, snap. Rachel is finding it difficult to keep it together. Understandable, considering someone has been murdered. Some of them are out there in the snow with a murderer. Their files are missing, and she's pregnant, and Allison knows. Allison talks to her about it while Paul showers. Her parents are very involved in the church at Flagstaff, so they're too distracted to notice. Coming to camp was her idea to try and give her some time to figure out what to do. Allison also understands that she's a science nerd trapped in a world that likes to think that science doesn't exist. Allison is trapped, too. Her sister is a Hollywood star known for being sexy and a size zero, and Allison is hidden by her shadow. When Paul comes out, Allison and Rachel want to strategize about what they should do, but Paul doesn't think they should do anything. Dick. Shut. Rachel, not willing to wait any longer, pulls out a coat and starts looking for supplies. She wants to go looking for more information while the facilitators are distracted. Paul points out that that's a bad idea and that Allison has a theory that everyone fits a horror archetype and will die in a specific order. The first being the basket case. So motivational. Mm. <laughs> Ignoring this, they go out hunting for answers. You're the basket case. You're going to die first. Damn it. Damn. Right, let's go. <laughs> All right. After the screen... Steve starts pumping shells into the shotgun and Vivian stands ready with her oar while the gate slowly closes. Then there's another scream and another grey streak. It slips through the closing gate and into camp. It's an exaggerated humanoid, almost beautiful with iridescent scales for skin. And it's strong. It knocks Steve back and the shotgun goes flying. Smentowski runs, which only succeeds in distracting the creature into following him into the security shack, where it hits all the buttons until the gate starts to open again. Then it turns on Smentowski, 
but before it can rip his throat out, Vivian bashes it repeatedly with the oar. In the commotion, Smentowski notices a blue band around the creature's neck that looks like the collar of the camp shirts, just like the one he is wearing. Is this the camper? Yikes. Steve has managed to get the shotgun and it takes a massive beating from Vivian and six bullets before the creature goes down. Outside the gate, more of the creatures can be seen attacking the SUVs. The creature smashed up the control panel, but Smentowski locates the main control box to close the gate, but needs to disconnect the sensors to do so. When the gates are a foot from closing, one of the creatures breaks away from the SUV and sprints toward it, while a girl from the cafeteria that morning runs out of the trees toward the gate, screaming and covered in blood. Smentowski, however, can't get the gate to reopen because the power is gone now. Damn. They watch the girl being eaten before being dragged off into the trees, the other creatures following. Damn. Oh. Damn. Yikes. Instead of a feel-good friendship story, Allison realises she is filming a teen horror. Oh, no. It can only get worse as the intrepid group of teens start doing stupid crap. Perfect! It's exactly what happens in every teen horror movie. The camp is deadly quiet. There aren't even curious faces at the windows as they pass through to the employees-only section. Paul tells them Kaiser was the MD in charge and they need to find his office, but Paul is not smooth when giving this information. Fortunately, they find the Kaiser building. Unfortunately, the power's out and they can hear shouting outside somewhere. They move into the pitch-black building, and Allison turns on her camera. Kaiser's office looks like a biology lab mashed with a nerdy computer setup. It's also a mess and smells really bad. They start looking around, and Rachel finds some notes that are pretty complex, but it looks like the scientists at Camp Featherlight are using corrective gene therapy. Kaiser notes they've been able to isolate the gene that causes obesity and develop technology to edit the gene probably through the metabolized hair bars. They're essentially giving people a virus to change their DNA. The notes go on about an anomaly that's stating that Kaiser believes continued human testings is dangerous. It's the anomaly that the monsters they saw, is it? I mean... Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. Continue Oh, to... no. <sighs> it makes them gassy. <laughs> <laughs> may result in gas or zombie. Zombification. to look around before they head back, Alison opens a door and someone falls on top of her. Steve stops Vivian from going into the trees after the girl. What they did to her was simply horrific. After much discussion, they decide to head back to the others and see if there are any employees left along the way. Then they hear a scream, and Vivian instantly knows it's Allison, so they rush into the Kaiser building. Finding the others, they run to where Allison is and find her under the dead body of Dr. Kaiser. Oh, damn. Quickly updating Allison, Rachel, and Paul on the zombie situation, they make a plan to head back to the bungalow with notebooks and laptops Rachel is looking at. Outside, they find campers milling about with a million questions. Setting down some of the food and water supplies for them, Steve tries to calm them with Vivian backing slash threatening them. 
Steve doesn't think he is the courageous captain, but he's going to pretend to be. Meanwhile, in the bungalow, the argument from the lab has resumed. There is a reluctance to believe that any genetic manipulation is being forced onto people. But the science is there and the metabolised ear bars look to be the source. They argue over what to do next, since campers seem to be changing into zombies. Either head to their van or go to the building in the employee's area surrounded by the electrified fence. The sounds of smashing glass and screaming interrupt them. Time to move. It's like a scene from Jurassic Park, with at least five zombies rampaging through the camp. Managing to escape one of the zombies, the group heads to the building surrounded by the electric fence. Smentkowski has brought a rubber bath mat and gloves to help them climb over and avoid the worst of the shocks. Paul is first, then Rachel. As the boys assist Rachel, Vivian and Allison tearfully make up. Vivian is sorry for treating Allison so badly, and Allison is sorry for sleeping with her crush. As they hug, Vivian notices a silver package poking out of Allison's extremely baggy sweatpants. <gasps> Shaking Allison and forgetting about the bruises she saw in the locker room, Vivian demands to know what Allison has done as a zombie comes crashing through the trees. Why? Why? This is Alison's last scene. She pulls out the camera and turns it on, handing it to Vivian while her friend begs to know why she ate those bars. Meanwhile, the zombie is howling and getting closer. Alison takes Vivian's oar and turns to the monster, moving with a grace and lightness she never had before as she meets the zombie head on. Alison pounds into it, knowing it's not enough, but that it might help. As she hears Vivian climb the fence, she knows it's nearly the end. Fade to black. Emotion! Vivian is angry and lashes out, telling everyone who Paul really is. The son of the man who created the zombies. The zombies who killed Allison. This, obviously, doesn't go down well, but there are bigger fish to fry. (laughs) (laughs) Steve helps Rachel stand and asks her when she's due. She's shocked that he has realized that she's pregnant. But look, he has four sisters and grew up on a farm, so he can tell. Also, like, being overweight and being pregnant are two clearly different looks. They are very, very different bumps. As a person who is overweight and has been pregnant, you could still tell that I was pregnant. Steve then delivers the worst pep talk in history, pointing out that she can't go into full labor now as she and the baby will most likely die. For now, they need to get inside as the zombies start throwing themselves at the electric fence. It's like they're testing it. Oh. Clever girl. Dashing around the building, they find windows too small to climb through before Paul remembers his father's office has one they should be able to access. 
Breaking in, Smentowski, Rachel, Vivian and Steve make it inside as a monster breaches the fence and comes for Paul. Smentowski and Vivian pull him up before Vivian lets go and uses a motivational poster to lay into the zombie. <laughs> she just... Brilliant. She really is. <laughs> Steve shoots it point blank while Paul is dragged inside. In the corner, Rachel is covering her mouth to hide her pain. Her contractions have started. It's not the time, Rachel. It's not the time. Stress-induced labour. It's all the walking she's been doing. Oh, it's bad. It's bad, it's bad. Steve wheels Rachel around in an office chair as they find a way to turn off the alarms that have been sounding since they broke in. Smitkowski finds the security office and shuts it down, and also tells them there's a working phone, so they call 911. Meanwhile, from her position, Rachel is able to see the security monitors and realizes with horror that this place is a manufacturing facility. On one screen, the zombies are moving around in a small shed, which Sminkowski says is a transformer room, and the creatures are cutting the power lines. As the lights go out, Vivian tells them no one is coming. The zombies have reached the town. And now their little group is on the list. Fine. Yeah, uh, no, they're not going to be saved. Sintowski finds a map of the building and decides the best course of action is to hold up in a secure location, higher up, and pilfer what supplies they can on the way. He also spots the shipping manifest from the stock room filled with mislabeled metabolized beer boxes. The zombie-making bars were sent out Thursday to a variety of suppliers. Ooh. I've got upstream. Eventually, they reach an odd-looking lab that seems like another set piece. This is confirmed when they find an iPad with some battery power left containing videos of Paul's dad seemingly making promos for metabolizer buyers. They also find publicity photos of Dr. Fallon with military investors. Damn. Then they hear a series of crashes and horrible screams. Damn. Just gets worse. A zombie has gotten into the manufacturing area and is ripping into the boxes. Shouting to get Rachel out, Vivian plans to torch the monster and Paul is going to help. Using a set of chemicals Rachel found and identified as highly flammable, Vivian makes a benzene Molotov cocktail, but the flame goes out as she throws it down the monster climbing toward them. As she throws it down at the monster climbing toward them. Paul then pours a whole bottle of benzene down on the monster and Vivian lights a match, dropping it on its arm. It screeches as it falls onto the metabolized A-boxes, which erupt in flames. Vivian grabs Paul, and they make for the roof where the others have managed to tunnel a path. Desperately, they try to secure the access door from the coming monsters. Look, guys, that never works. Well, going up. <laughs> going, r- running up the stairs, trying to block the doors. You can never block the doors well enough. There's always a way through. Exactly. Well, Paul is convinced they're all going to die. They're stuck on the <laughs> roof in the freezing cold, surrounded by zombies, and one is literally banging at the door. Paul confesses he's a selfish ass who should have questioned his father about what he was doing, who should have gone after the monster in the road, not Allison. 
Vivian confesses that it's her fault Alison was there in the first place. Alison thought her douche lord got in the way of a friendship, but really it was her ingratitude. Smentowski confesses that he was the one who took the power down, so everything is his fault. He's right. Rachel thinks it's her fault, that God is punishing her and her baby. That's a load of bullshit. That's not right at all. No, no, that, that, that's wrong. It's very wrong. Steve thinks that's his fault. He knew the place was screwed weeks ago when he was interviewed by a cyborg lady. He could have said something, but he's blinded by the prospect of tuition money. They need to stop blaming themselves. All of them? Well, maybe... Except, except for Smenkowski. Except for Smenkowski, yeah. And start thinking about their families and others who will be affected by Phantom Farmer. It's time to get out of here. Vivian and Paul are going to go for the van, while Steve and Smenkowski will stay on the roof with Rachel, whose contractions are getting worse. The baby is coming. For luck, and her potential imminent death, Vivian kisses Steve, hands Smentkowski her bag with the shipping manifests and laptop inside, then, with the shotgun loaded with the last two shells and a piece of chair as a weapon, she and Paul head down the fire escape. Steve starts causing a distraction, setting fire to ripped up pieces of cloth and throwing them down to the hoard, tossing the patio set, and even Donkey Kong style throwing the sofa. I had an image of Rachel still sitting on the sofa and everybody's like, Steve, no! Not that one! (laughs) And then the baby flies out. And then lands on the roof. Yeah. They catch the baby gently. Yes. Yeah. Completely plausible. It is. That's how things work. That's physics. Steve then starts messing with a horse, trying to uncoil it and tie it to the metal rail around the building so they can swing down and into another safe room to hide from the zombies who are now making their way up to the roof. He's taking this Donkey Kong thing a little too far. He really, he really is. He really, really is. Swintowski nearly gets his head taken off by the sofa being thrown back by the horde. Rachel's still on it, though. Rachel's still on it. And she's fine. She's reunited with the baby. It's fine. (laughs) They need to move. While Steve fights with one monster that has gotten to the roof, Smentowski deals with the one approaching Rachel. He picks up an iron patio table and throws it, which knocks the zombie off balance and over the edge of the roof. Smentowski pushes the zombie off the edge, then the horde closes in on the still body and starts eating it. No! Cannibalizing! Oh my <gasps> gosh! Using the hose Steve tied to the metal edge, they climb down and into the secure room below. As Rachel is dangling over the edge of the building, clinging onto Steve and praying like she's never prayed before, one monster looks over the edge. They don't have human-level intelligence, but this one looks like it's trying to work out a puzzle. For the moment, they can catch their breath, but unfortunately, in their haste, Smitkowski left Vivian's bag with the shipping documents and the laptop on the roof. Damn it. It's two strikes, Smitkowski. <sighs> two strikes. <sighs> Looking around for supplies, Rachel spots a laptop with power. Smitkowski logs in and finds several interesting but damning documents under a file called Project Gideon. It seems the monster issue was known, and in fact, it was something that they wanted 
Fanon Pharma is working with the Department of Defense to create an undefeatable super soldier. <sighs> it never goes well, guys. Nope. nope. It only worked one time, and that was Captain America. Only once. Never learned my history. No. Information in the log corroborates what Rachel thought. The monster's intelligence increases day by day as evidenced by subject 1581. Where is subject 1581? Smitkowski and Rachel also find information that suggests that Kaiser was in fact murdered and Paul's dad was threatened. Meanwhile, Steve has found guns and tranquilizer darts. Then they hear a thudding coming from the dark. Subject 1582 is inside the room with them. <gasps> it's slow going through the snow for Vivian and Paul. And as they talk, they realize they aren't so different. And they don't want to be selfish people like their parents became. They thought once they made it to the trees, they would be safer. But the horrors is eerily still. And Vivian spots a stain in the snow. It's fresh, black-red blood. Outside the range of their flashlight, something is breathing. Damn. <sighs> Paul screams. Then a voice from the darkness tells him to stop and tells Vivian to put her gun down. It's Roger, the guard. Hooray! He's alive, at least. Well, it's someone. It's an adult. Thankfully, the blood is a monster's and not his. He got thrown from the SUV when it was attacked, which broke his arm. Ooh. And by the time he got to the road, everyone was gone. Vivian quickly brings him up to speed on what he's missed before the trio head off to the van. They pass the camp's main gates, which have been ripped apart, the metal twisted and masonry pulverized. Scattered amongst the debris are body parts. Paul starts dry heaving and says he can't go on as screams from the monsters are heard bouncing through the trees. Paul wants them to leave him behind, but Vivian knocks sense into him just as the monsters reach the clearing and the fighting begins. Bloody Paul. <sighs> they have found Subject 1581 in the glass cage and it seems surprised to see that. In its cage, Smetowski notices the monster has piles of what appear to be fantasy novels. Subject 1581 is more human than the Horde, but it's, it's still unnatural. Rachel has found a file folder with Subject 1581's human name, Brian Quimby, and remembers he was a kid that went missing from Flagstaff a few months ago. Then she opens his cage. Damn! Rachel, man. Why? Neighbor, you can't think clearly, but come on. Rachel doesn't see a monster. and she, Instead, she sees someone who was once a human. She knew his family. She helped put posters out when he went missing. She had tissues as his mother cried. The locks click open and Brian Quimby screams. Damn it. Vivian will not let the monsters get her. She may be out of bullets, so she wields the gun like a baseball bat. Paul charges the monster she's facing off with and knocks it down. Maybe Paul was miscast. 
Maybe he's actually the courageous captain. Hmm. The fight is confusing. The squishy sound of zombie flesh being hit is loud. There are moans and screams and blood. Vivian pulls out Allison's camera from her pocket, determined to get Allison's money shot before the monster finishes her off. Then, Roger fires his last two bullets into the zombie and kills it. Regrouping, Vivian finds Paul covered in blood from the monster trying to eat his arm, but Roger declares it's not too bad. Suddenly, in all the confusion, they realize the van is right there, right where it crashed. Vivian opens the door, and 12 inches from her face is a monster sitting like it's waiting for a ride. Ticket, please. It's like buckled in. It's seatbelt. You know, it's got its little bag in its lap. It's got some snacks. Got a snack. Yeah. Some fish sticks. Quill. Mm. Kelp. Some kelp. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Subject 1581, Brian Quimby, stops screaming and starts poking at the door in confusion. Meanwhile, Steve and Spandowski are bracing for the attack. Rachel tells Steve to calm down. Brian isn't going to attack, so he lowers his gun and stays wary. Rachel calmly explains to Brian the situation and tells him he needs to get out of the facility. What? Brian seems to remember being human, but doesn't have a handle on his superhuman body. He's also not attacking and happily eating cereal bars. Smentowski points out that no one is going to come looking for Brian, and they're going to destroy the lab. With the loss of the shipping manifests, the only way to stop more metabolized air bars from being made is to destroy their operation. I hope they don't save everything to the clouds, just saying. This has the added advantage of taking out some of the monsters so they won't be overrun as they head for the van. Smentowski wants to blow the facility up by spreading the flammable product flower boxes they found earlier while zombie Brian keeps the monsters at bay long enough to get into the van and get out of there. Brian can then freely walk into the sunset because if anyone still believes he's alive, they will hunt him down. Zombie Brian agrees to their plan. Hmm. Searching through the room for anything that can help with their plan, Zombie Brian shows them a smoker's desk that has lighters and cigarettes, which will help spread the flames. They also find non-dairy creamer, which, fun fact, is seriously flammable. Think about that the next time you're drinking coffee. With everything gathered, Zombie Brian rips the door off and they leave the relative safety of the lab and hear the zombies below. Encountering two in the fake lab from earlier, Zombie Brian stands protectively in front of Rachel and roars at them, making them stop in their tracks. Steve rushes in and picks up Rachel, making for the stairs, with Sminkowski following, where they encounter more zombies watching Zombie Brian. Steve starts to tranquilize them while Sminkowski goes for the flower. As Sminkowski starts on the second bag, Zombie Brian runs up, grabs it, and throws the sacks at the other zombies, who start spreading it. <gasps> now, they light the place up. The zombie attacks Vivian and she fights back with her flashlight while Roger tries to start the van. In the background, there is a roar of flames and the boom of an explosion. When the zombie punches Vivian in the face, knocking her back, Paul jumps in her place, grabs the monster and starts pulling it by the waist from the car. Roger pushing from the back. 
They get it out and wheel on it while Vivian climbs into the driver's seat and reverses over it. Paul and Roger dive in and Vivian takes off. The zombie chases, but Vivian manages to take it out with a tree before heading toward the fire. Steve, Spinkowski, and Rachel are waiting for the van at the destroyed main gates with zombie Brian, who practically dragged them there. Vivian and Paul get a serious shock and try to take zombie Brian out before they realize he is a friend and not a foe. As Rachel's contractions have started again in earnest, they quickly pile into the van, except zombie Brian. Rachel apologizes to him, and he nods in acknowledgement before running into the trees. Soon, they're on the highway toward civilization, passing a billboard for the Waffle House. Vivian is recording all of this for Allison's movie as they discuss the first thing that they are going to do, which is to get to a hospital because Rachel's baby is coming. Practical. Destruction and body parts greet them when they arrive in town. The zombies have taken it over. Something tells Vivian that Steve is going to do something stupid, despite his promise not to. Hmm. As they make a turn, something hits them hard in the side and lurches the van and its occupants, not stopping until they crash. Then a monster lands on the roof. Roger can't get the van to move. The van is stuck so they decide to make a run for the convenience store. Paul hits the monster, stunning it, and with effort they make it to the inside of the store and see it's been raided by the monsters. And that they aren't alone either. There are at least three inside, but they need to get through the store and to the hospital behind. Dumping Rachel in a shopping cart, they start to run when Vivian sees Steve's plan. He's going to stay behind and fight the zombies himself. Vivian protests, but for once, she needs to listen to someone else. They run. Steve realises he is the courageous captain after all. No, Steve. The hospital has been boarded up. Vivian prepares to smash the glass with a potted plant when one of the boards is lifted by someone inside wearing scrubs. As soon as the gap is big enough, they pass Rachel through, then follow. Once Vivian is in, she turns to help Smikowski, but her smile drops and she screams. One of the zombies is right behind him. Smikowski can smell its fishy breath and is jerked backward. It's chaos as Smikowski's mind is filled with all the things he'll never get to do. And all he hears is the sound of Gunfire. At 4.47am, Rachel gives birth to a perfect little girl, Stevie Allison Benedict. Unfortunately, she didn't know about Smintowski when she named her daughter. Is that really unfortunate, though? Because Smintowski is not a good name. I mean, you could go Shelly for Sheldon. Yeah. Once Stevie is born and everyone is patched up, they are moved to a quarantine unit at the hospital and restricted from any news, computers or access to phones. Eventually they are moved to Fort Huchuca, an army base, where they are finally allowed to see each other in their isolation barracks. While they are in quarantine, they took Alison's camera from Vivian. Rachel's father has been in touch with the governor and Vivian's mom has a lawyer. They are called the Featherlight Four. Three teenagers and one employee who survived the worst blizzard in the history of Arizona. 
and natural disaster that killed over 400. Thankfully, most of Flagstaff was evacuated after the first zombie broke free. I really don't think, really don't think a blizzard can dismember bodies. During an interview and a round of Vivian's questions not being answered, she is told, the sooner you become part of the solution, the sooner you can go home. Gross. They all have hidden threats of some description made toward them or toward their loved ones, but if they don't get out, everything, even death, will have been for nothing. A silent pact is made. Vivian still has nightmares and regrets. She's home now, and it's Christmas. Outside, across the street, is the usual plain, generic black sedan, ever watchful. Pulling up the drive, however, is a minivan, and inside are Rachel, Paul, and Mrs. Fannin. Paul's dad has been missing since the disaster. Pastor Benedict is behind them with Stevie and Mrs. Benedict. Presents are opened, delicious food is eaten, games are played, and the holiday is enjoyed. But later, when she's putting dirty dishes in the kitchen, Vivian looks outside and swears she can see something moving a little too quickly in the dark. Damn! The end. Or is it? Or is it? Mmm. Right, well, while we go and check what's in the trees and the bushes, shall we listen to another podcast's promo? Yes. Yes, I think we shall. Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Thampod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Thampod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. Did we survive? Did we survive the break? We survived the break. Um, I'm fairly convinced there's zombies in the bushes. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely there's zombies zombie in the bushes. And, you know, not some newly created horde. Well, you know, it's been a little while, so maybe they're all, like, recovering their mental faculties. True, true. I'm concerned that, you know, mums if a random animal started eating it, you know... Zombie some, raccoons? Well, zombie raccoons, that's terrifying at a prospect. Uh-huh. But, you know, you know, this is in the middle of the woods. There could be bears. Imagine if a bear just snuffled in and ate a random bar that had not been burnt in the fire. Zombie bear? That sounds Zombie good. bear. Mm-mm. No. Zombie fish? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's not good. Have they made that shark movie? We've been in tornadoes. Been I'm sure there's a zombie fish movie. Research! There's a... Um... Zombie There's a movie about, like, piranhas? Aquarium of the Dead. There's a 2021 American sci-fi horror movie about a scientific accident 
that turns aquatic creatures into zombies. It's pretty good. And it's the third in a, in a trilogy. That's pretty good. Should watch it. Anyway, so what? What are you? Um, what are your standout moments? Stop looking at zombie fish movies. I'm off IMDb now. It's fine. Um, standout. Do you know? I, look, I I don't know if I've got any particular moments. I'm like, oh, that was so freaking amazing because I enjoyed the book from start to finish. Yeah. It wasn't a slow burn book either. It was, right, here's the introduction. These are the characters. This is the place. This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zombies. And then from the moment they enter the camp, it's just, it just felt constant. And if there were, like, quieter moments, it was for narrative purposes. It was because Rachel had something scientific to discuss completely pertinent to the story or there was a certain amount of character development or you know character building that needed to take place but then as soon as that like quiet moment passes there's a scream in the background or the door gets banged on or there's an explosion or there's shotgun blasts or a couch comes flying over yes so they don't last for very long. They're very small moments. Yeah. And then something terrible happens. The way I, I was thinking of it, and I'm, I'm going to go down the pun route, shock, the story has no fat. <laughs> You're right, though. There's nothing that you need to cut out of this book. No. And you can very much see it being a TV show as well. or I mean, Yeah. You could push it to a movie, but I think I'll probably enjoy it more serialised. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like based... Yeah, but it's, like, it's based around a movie premise. That is so true. That it, is true. It could make a good movie. Yeah. It feels like something that Netflix would pick up and make into a movie. It really does. It would I'll, be a I'll great the Netflix movie. Yeah, as long sure. as it's correctly casted as well. Yeah. Um, we'll probably get into the the casting in a minute, but yeah, I just I it was just full on all the way through and I, yeah. I, I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. I think the thing that bothered me the most was that Allison freaking ate one of those metabolized A bars. <laughs> Why? Why would she do that? We know that there's something fishy about them. Why? Why? This this is actually probably one of my surprises. If I was to be pushed to say there was a surprise. So yeah. I'm going to slightly jump ahead a bit. Um, that she ate one of the bars. More because the, look at, the, the description was absolutely disgusting and I would never eat that. But... I can understand why she did. Why? Pressure. From whom? Herself, mainly. Um, there'd be pressure from her sister 
because her sister said to her, you can have a role in my movie, you know, you can break into the industry, but you need to lose weight. Mm. She's got bruises on her body that really isn't explained a whole lot, but you can imagine there's some element of abuse that's going on yeah, in the definitely. trailer park where she lives that she needs to escape. And the way that she would escape is by dropping some weight, going to Hollywood and doing, you know, get escaping that way. She doesn't have the confidence of Vivian. Vivian's self-confidence is completely enviable. Yeah. But if someone was to say to me, eat this bar and you'll lose 30 pounds overnight, I would I would eat the bar. Because I, I don't have Vivian's confidence and I'm a much older person than what Vivian's character is. I, I do not look in mirrors. I don't like the reflection that I see. If I take a picture of myself, it's a calculated selfie. To, for the best effect and you'll notice it's never from the chest down because I don't have that self-confidence and I wish I could just you know there's a part in the book where there's a quote where it's talking about Vivian saying I'm uh average it's either Vivian or Alison I can't remember and she says I am the perfect national average in sizes mm-hmm. and I can't go to Target and buy a pair of jeans off the rack yeah I know exactly what that's like and it's demoralising and it's humiliating and it's one of the reasons I hate going shopping. So I, if somebody was to give me this disgusting bar and said, you will lose £30 tonight, I would buy a box. Because... Even, wait, even after finding out that they I don't want to turn, turn you into a zombie. a zombie? No, I don't want to turn into a zombie, but I don't think Alison ate it knowing she was going to turn into a zombie. She'll have eaten it the night before, after... Steve gave it to them. Mm. That's when she'll have had it. She'll have eaten it then because it's had time to metabolise into her system, change her genetic code. Because she's been wearing all these baggy clothes already and nobody's been paying attention to her. She's dropped the weight when they've gone to the gone for breakfast and nobody's she's not let on to anybody. Nobody's realised. She's turned into a zombie at about real time as everybody else. Mm. so yeah I can understand why she did it I really can and I hate that I I hate hate, that too I hate it I really hate that too I like though that we are able to have two separate discussions Mm. in this episode because you know my main focus is zombies yeah that's not your main focus no no. No. It, 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 it was extremely refreshing to have, like, moving on to Vivian, action girl, like, to be the one person who you know is going to survive to the end, mm-hmm. be somebody who is classed as overweight, and have that massive amount of self-confidence. It's freaking amazing. You just hope that that kind of self-confidence can be throughout her life, as societal pressures weigh down on her. Well, she was already she was already at that point in her life. Like she's got so many friends. She's the captain of like her sports team. She's strong. She's tough. She's funny. I mean, yeah, she had to build up this like layer on the outside, but she's comfortable with who she is. She knows that she's good at sports and can pass a physical with flying colors. Like, 
she knows. So I can see that there's, I mean, clearly there's a huge element of jealousy with Allison and Vivian. So I can also see that that's why Allison wants to eat the bar because like she's, she's putting herself in this position where she feels like she doesn't measure up to her friend. Yeah. And that's what's going to eat at Vivian. Pardon the pain. Um, because for her, the very, the breakdown in the relationship was because Alison told her the truth. You're an ungrateful brat. You need to stop mm-hmm. complaining about your mother's marriage to the coach. And just try and be happy and stop rebelling against it. It's not you can't you cannot change it. No. Whereas Alison thinks it's because she slept with the person Vivian was crushing on. And Alison's like, I don't care about that at all. But now right. Vivian has to live with the guilt that she lost her friend at the very end quickly. Because she was just up. being an asshole. Because she was being an asshole. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, not that if they hadn't there is part of it is that if they hadn't if their friendship had stayed fine tight nothing had come between them Alison mm-hmm. wouldn't have been there right but because because Vivian hates the coach who is her new stepdad the mom which we didn't mention this in the summary the mom actually paid Allison's way to go to camp so they could rekindle their friendship so like maybe Vivian would be a little bit happier and less like hateful of the coach husband so yeah so there's so much stuff riding on their friendship and it didn't turn out well no and Vivian's gotta live with that yeah like the amount of survivor guilt she's going to be facing is going to be monumental. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I think it would be really interesting if there were a sequel because it was very open-ended. Mm-hmm. And that would be, that would be a really good focus. Vivian dealing with all of this crap. But also, she's still having to fight all the zombies because yeah. she's, you know, badass. But also, like, we don't know necessarily that Steve didn't survive. Yeah. We don't know what happened to Steve. Mm-mm. So, you know, that could have been Steve running around in her backyard. Maybe. And, like, we also don't know if you're bitten... By one of the zombies, do you then become a zombie yourself, or is it only the bars? Well, Paul didn't become a zombie, and he was bitten. The, the one of the zombies did trial down on his arm. And yeah, but I mean, how this much? Is, what, a year later, because it's set again at Christmas. It was winter beer at you know, the first time. I really just assumed it was that Christmas. Because I assumed it was later, because it's winter break when they go, and they're talking about you know celebrate Christmas is coming up. Um, but then they spend a long time in quarantine and then even longer in isolation together and it's not until they start telling the lies I think it's a year later because um, the way they describe Stevie as well Mm. is that she's older and she's able able to actually open her own presence Mm, yeah you're right 
So I, I figured it's a, it's a year later. Okay. In my head, it had only been a couple of weeks. Because all of this action takes place in a, night. a day. Like, there's zero time. So they could be in isolation for a few days. Maybe Christmas break starts at the beginning of December. But you're right about the baby. I don't even think this takes place over 24 hours because when they crash into the gate. No, it does. It does because they said that the generator has 24 hours of power and normally they would get it back up and running in that time, but they lose power. So it has been at least 24 hours okay, since, it seems, since it seems so Smikowski that... was there and shut the power or broke all of that stuff. Yeah, because when they, when they were told they were the last ones to get to the camp, Mm-hmm. And Steve missed his orientation, and it's like, well, yeah, you orientate people at six o'clock and then close the gates at six o'clock or whatever. Yeah, it, it it's like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, it's fine. But yeah, yeah. What did you think of Paul apart from being a jerk? Do you know what annoyed me? What he's fat shaming Vivian. Well, that. Um, but also, he's like, he's fat shaming Vivian for being at a fat camp, where he is also at a fat camp. I know. He, he is not going to be a skinny little mite who's underweight. He's going Mm-mm. to be in some form overweight as well. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten through the gates, even if he yeah. was the son of the one of the owners. He yeah, because everyone would be like, what the fuck are you doing here? Exactly. Exactly. So I was like... I, this sounds awful. I just kind of want to grab Paul by his belly tube and give it a wiggle. Yeah, like grab his love handles. Truffle shuffle. I don't like the Goonies. Yeah, but well, you're weird. Sorry to let and everyone know on that. On that note, sorry, for listening, everybody. It was yep now. You never, ever want to listen to me talk again. (laughs) Surely not. You're allowed your opinion. Surely someone else doesn't like the Goonies. Although I feel like if Kevin McCaw is still listening to the episode, I think he's shut it down now. He's turned it off. He's turned it off. He's like, fuck this. Can't be doing this. Never listen to us again. Rude. Sorry, Kevin. It was good to know you on the internet. <laughs> but anywho, so we're Any, grabbing Paul and shaking him by his little tubby bits. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have, I struggle with this because Paul is a dick. Yep. Smikowski's a dick. Yep. Rachel is... She's not a dick. She's very, very smart, but she's also Indoctors. brainwashed by the church. Church, the church. Tantious. She's been indoctrinated. Damn that church! She's been clearly, you know, indoctrinated. Yeah. Allison doesn't have much of a backbone. So we've got Vivian that I like. And Steve. But they all redeem themselves in some capacity before they die in theory. 
Yes. And, you know, they're, they're all throwing themselves in front of the zombies to save the other people. They're making sure that Rachel's fine. They're protecting Rachel and the baby. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not perfect, but then would you want them to be? No. And also, like we said, it's been about 20 hours. <laughs> it's been It's been 24 hours. So I can't expect them to grow and change that much. No, no. And this is why I really enjoy your sequel. Like, I'd love this to be a duology. I'd really yeah. like to find out what's going on. But I don't mind Vivian being action girl again. But I would like Rachel to, to like, not be the outcast. I want her to be the nerd. But not yeah. be a nerd facing danger. She's the one where Vivian calls and goes, what the frig's going on? You yeah. know, she's, 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 uh, she's back, back at, at base. And Paul, I can imagine, is trying to get a little bit further into his father's company, into Fan and But Fan. hopefully to take it down yes. and not to take it over and then become the wealthy, you know, leader of this mega corporation. Because yeah. he is really into money. He is, but I think, I think he's been shown something else. The power of ownership. But it, no, but see, no, see, it could be very good if there is a second one. And he does become the president of Fan and Pharma. And he goes in with the mindset that, oh, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to make everything better. But then he just doesn't. And that's when you get another series. Yes. You see, that's the other thing. We know the shipping manifests have gone out. We know metabolized air bars were sent days ago out into the world. Yes. We don't know the repercussions of that. You imagine, because, you know, they've been told to tow the line to escape the quarantine and isolation, that they might have had a handle on it but if they're going to lie about 400 people dying by blizzard then there's going to be you know if the, if the metabolized air bars have taken out other towns and cities across the country what, yeah, other what are they going to use natural disasters air quotes have happened yeah. that they're using as a cover-up so many questions so many, so many questions but the only important thing to me <clears throat> for the non-existent book two is that Steve comes back. <laughs> that would be good. How do you Steve. want to come back though? Do you want him to come back as a zombie Steve or actual No, Steve? because he's not going to eat those bars. He fucking knows what's up with them. So he's not going to eat one. Do you, think, do you think he managed to like fight off the zombies enough? Put a broom's handle through the door, hand or door of the back of the convenience store. By the time he turned round, everybody was gone except Smanowski, who's been eaten, and then yeah. he finds a broom closet and hides in there. Yeah, for three days. Yeah, he's been hiding in there. He's got some food because he's in the supermarket. He gathered some stuff, or maybe there was some food already in the closet of the supermarket. Yeah. <sighs> I choose to believe that he is fine. I like this. I like this concept. I do. So we've got Vivian kicking ass. We've got Steve suddenly turning up. Um, 
in the second one, whilst a zombie is trying to kick Vivian's ass, Steve yes. turns up, saves her. We yes. have a nice smooch. Lovely. Yes. Yes. We've, meanwhile, in Fanner Farm, we've got Paul, quote unquote, taking it down. And then But he's not. He but he's not. But then in a dark room somewhere where there's a baby crib, just like, you know, like one of those bouncy things that they like, a jumping mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Um, and a mm-hmm. big computer setup. We have Rachel in a lab coat because she just sits there in a lab coat. Yes. Going through the science of it all. And being, yes. Being she things. figures out a way to reverse it. She with reverses the, zombie the zombification. Brian. With yeah, yes, definitely Who's because she and Zombie her. Brian are now potentially having a love interest and then it turns into our beautiful warm bodies route a little bit warm bodies and she figures it out she figures it out and he's there and he's helping and he's like okay well it's got to be me that you've got to test it on because who else can you trust and she's like oh but i don't want to and he's like no you got to do it and then they passionately kiss and she, you know, injects him or makes him eat something or whatever it is. And then all of the zombie facade falls away. And then he's a human again at the end. But first she thinks she's killed him. Oh, sure. Yeah, you've got to have that, you know, as she's crying, you know, unconsolable weeping. Yes. But he hasn't. But what you don't realise is that he is the multiple of subject down the line where she finally cracked the code because out back... There's a few extra zombies out. Zombie Brian's rounded up that she's previously yeah. tested on and this serum has failed. Ooh, but see, no, I see that he is the hero. So he is going to take it first because he doesn't want to sacrifice any of these others that he's Oh, gathered. they will have had brains by then, won't they? They'll have grown their intelligence back. Yeah. They've matured. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He has yeah. to be the only test subject. Yep. Yeah. Yep, this is what happens. Kelly DeVos? Our gift to you, if you care to use it. Our gift to you, yes. We have written book two for you. We've outlined it. Yeah. You have to write it. Loving the work. Done. We'll accept some acknowledgements. Yeah. I want a signed copy. Yes. And we want to be extras when it becomes a thing. Oh, yeah, I just need to be sitting in the background somewhere. Don't need to give me any lines. Preferably, we go past a Waffle House and I'm sitting there eating my hash browns. You're on the billboard of the Waffle House. <gasps> we are on the billboard Fictional of the Waffle House. Hangover is on a billboard outside the Waffle House. Yes. Okay. It's perfect. I like it. <laughs> is it time i don't even know what's happening anymore neither do i was <laughs> it delayed it was a delayed pew pew it was a delayed pew pew Okay, so we asked on social media, would you rather be Action Girl, The Basket Case, The Courageous Captain, The Jock, The Jerk, The Nerd, or The Outcast? Dang. So many options. 
of your options. On Facebook, Action Girl won with 38%, but The Nerd did come second. On Instagram, The Nerd came first with 30%, then Action Girl. On Twitter, The Basket Case came first with 37%, followed by The Nerd. And then on TikTok, it was The Outcast with 50%, with Action Girl and The Nerd coming joint second. That is a bit of a spread. It really is. So I mean, we, obvious, obviously we get the nerd. So we get the action girl. We get an the action nerd, girl. We mm-hmm. get the basket case and we've got the outcast. The only things we haven't got are the courageous captain, the jock, and the jerk. I mean, you don't really necessarily need the courageous captain if you've got the action girl. That is true. That is very true. But the difference is the action girl generally survives, whereas the courageous captain generally doesn't. Doesn't. Yeah. But the courageous captain is also a leader, and so is the action girl. Yeah. But the action girl does more dumb shit than what the courageous captain. Like Vivian, very impulsive. Doesn't really listen to other people. Definitely. Definitely. Where everybody else is trying to think things through. Yeah. She's got to get stuff done. Shall we read the comments and see if we can have inspiration for what one answers? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, Nina on Facebook said, Courageous Captain, I figure my age and acquired logic slash wisdom will help. Plus, I'm no jock slash athlete. Too personable to be the outcast and too mentally stable to be the basket case. Bree on Facebook said, Action Girl, because I figure my best chance is having some level of athleticism or initiative. And even if I die, it will be more epic than everyone else. Love it. Yes, love an epic death. Colin on Facebook said, Constance on Facebook said, No, I'm not singing it. God, but it's... But it's weird, Al. Can I just do... Can I just do the end? <laughs> they see me roll on my Segway. I know in my heart that they think I'm white and nerdy. I think I'm white and nerdy. I'm white and nerdy. God, weird Al. It's a good one. Thanks, Constance. <laughs> True on Facebook said... With the nerd, I have a 50-50 chance of being the final girl. So, fingers crossed. Nice. Annie on Facebook said, Action Girl, and provides her own name, Vigilani. Perfect. (laughs) Vigilani is the best name we've ever come up with for someone in Vampire Book Club. (laughs) (laughs) At Toro Kansai on Instagram said, I'd probably be the basket case nerd. Ooh, a combo. Yeah. Got lots of comments from the library, too. I almost feel like the library should have its own, like, vote. You know, social media plus the library. There were lots of nerds at the library, obviously. Well, duh. Well, duh. Um, there was one nerd slash comic relief. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> Everyone's nerds, though. I like the one. There's also nerd. They usually live. Plus, have you met my brain? <laughs> I have met that brain. That brain is a nerd. Can confirm, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
there was one who wants to be the outcast that is also the final girl. And a basket case and who is the first to be killed because basket case. Cool. All I right. still don't know if enough to try and get some inspiration. My instinct says I want to be the nerd, but the problem is with the nerd. I feel like you've got to be have some kind of like computer whiz skills. Yeah. You know, if you if you want a PowerPoint presentation, I'm your girl. But I'm not doing any hacking, you know? Yeah, you get to present the PowerPoint case or the PowerPoint show at the end that shuts down the explosions yes. all our beauty queens. Yes, thank you for that callback because that's exactly what I was yes. thinking of. Um but I don't think that's going to be particularly useful in this particular zombie apocalypse. I'm not a jock, you know? No. I'll probably turn into the basket case. I'll be like, I know exactly 100% what I am. You're the jerk. I'm the jerk! <laughs> I am the jerk! You're the jerk, but you'll be the lovable asshole jerk. Fine. I accept You've got to it. wear the lovable asshole t-shirt whilst in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And advertise the red bubble shop. Of course. I'm definitely the jerk, though. There is no question. I would love to think I would be action girl. Because I would be like, I'm not putting up with this bullshit. This is ruining my day. It's infringing on my nap time. God damn all I want is a burrito. Let's, I let's, can see that. Let's kick their asses and get this done. But I don't know if I would be the action girl. I've got a feeling I'll be the action girl and then five minutes later I'm tired. I'm just going to turn into the basket case. <laughs> but I would, like, I would like to think I could be action girl. I would like to think that. Because I, I don't know, if I think about when I'm at work and stuff... If you give me a project, I'm like, right, let's get this done. Let's do sure. this. Yeah. If you want to get from A to B, let's get this done. And yes, mm-hmm. I am an overweight person. And yes, my fitness levels is not what it used to be for various reasons Amanda knows all about. But I know if I need to get from A to B, I will freaking well do it. Because I am also yes. massively stubborn. You are massively stubborn. But you know what? There's that one time that you fell down the stairs. <laughs> so I really feel like you you've got some you've got some basket case tendencies. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know the repercussions of that are still lingering. It's one of the reasons why you've lost some of your athleticism. It is. Because you fell down the stairs. God damn it. <laughs> and I do have a I have a good swinging arm. Which has got to help with Action Girl. Yeah. Do you know what? Screw it. I'm going to say I'm going to be Action Girl because of my can-do attitude and the fact that I, I like do it. not like to put up with people's bullshit. Yes. However, yes. my leg brace is not allowed to fall down. No. That's my you one need condition. Your, you need that. I will yeah. And also, you know, if we have, if we have like quick, tight action like we have in this book, you know, it's a day. You can, you can action girl for a whole day. I can action. Do you know what? It's not the standing and the walking around that's the issue. It's the sitting down for prolonged periods of time that's that that hurts. Yeah. So you're the perfect action so girl. So it's fine. I'm going to be action girl, and while I'm doing it, 
as the day goes on, you'll go, gee, she started off really tight, but now she's quite fit. I'm like, yeah, stamina. And it's not because you ate a metabolize A bar. No. Because I wouldn't let you live that down if you did. No. As the jerk. No, but I might have like a healthy cereal bar because I do enjoy a healthy cereal bar. Yeah, that's yeah. Or some fine. rice cakes. I feel you've been craving rice cakes. Oh yeah, I love a rice cake. I haven't had rice cakes in ages. Mm. And my mum mentioned them the other day, and now I really fancy some rice cakes. Yeah, so. I love a rice cake. They're very diabetic friendly. Do you get the plain ones, or do you get ones with like yogurt or chocolate on? Um, I like the more savory ones, like a white cheddar. Mm. You can get or these the absolutely delicious salt and vinegar ones and cheesy ones. I don't like salt and vinegar. Not mm. a fan of that. But I think there's also one that's like the everything that goes on the bagel flavor. <gasps> that's a good one, too. Oh, my God. I can only imagine that you have access to a multiple, a multitude flavor of rice cakes. Is that what I need to send you in your birthday care package? I, I feel the, like I need rice cakes. And you need a rice cake. And rice cake. I really want some rice cakes now. <laughs> I'll find some weird one and send it to you. I like, do you like, I like rice cakes with cottage cheese on. I don't like cottage cheese. I do like those. I, I don't like pineapple and cottage cheese. That's just wrong. Pineapple and pizza is fine, but in cottage cheese is wrong. But I like uh, chive. I don't like cottage cheese. I'll, I'll take the chives. I'll take the pineapple. Like but I don't want the cottage cheese. Philadelphia cream cheese, just a little bit. Not a fan of cream cheese either. Oh, it's cheese, man. It's cheese. Give me like a block of cheddar. I want to go to the cheese jack. shop. Mm. I want to go to the cheese shop. I want to get this coffee cheese that I found. I'm gonna I'm gonna source that from somewhere. You need to find it. All right, let's go on to our next question. Yes, please, because we're getting hungry. I'm thinking about we are. Things. I'm starving. <laughs> it is lunchtime. It's lunchtime for, for you. It's dinner time for me. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. Right. Next question. Would you rather face a zombie horde with an oar or a shotgun with three bullets? Oar. Because an oar is a treated wood, it'll be highly varnished as well. It'll or it's be... plastic. Well, it's still got a, 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 a strength to it. Yes. I have never shot a gun in my life. I don't think I'll ever shoot a gun. In... Well, I've shot paintball guns does that 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 doesn't count though because you don't get the same think, recoil i don't think that so counts. you know i used to go paintballing all the time i love a bit of paintball it's hilarious so but a shotgun is completely different and you've got three bullets i don't know how to use it i don't know how to use it safely i don't even know how to load it never mind getting to the aiming and aiming accurately so i think the shotgun yeah. the three bullets are useless and also i can imagine that if you wielded the shotgun like a baseball bat it's not going to have the strength of the ore, which is one piece of either wood or plastic that mm-hmm. is used to having kind of pressure putting onto it. Yeah. I feel like the shotgun will fall apart, especially when I'm wailing on a zombie. So an ore is also a longer weapon. So you can kind of like poke them and jab them away from you. Whereas a shotgun is more of a close and melee attack. So I'm going with ore. I think I'm going to go with the shotgun. Not like... I don't know how to use a shotgun at all, but I feel like if I had to figure it out in the moment, I could. 
and I wouldn't be afraid to use it as the baseball bat because it also has metal. So it is a sturdy weapon. So I'm going to I'm going to take the shotgun because it's it's dual purpose. I can shoot 3 times and then use it to bash brains. Well, this works out wonderfully because we've only got one oar and one shotgun. So if you take one weapon, I take the other. We can action go and jerk the place. Free zombie free. Yep. Good plan. Can we high five? High five. You're above me. I'm I'm below. You're to the side of me. Don't we usually? Oh, that's right. When when we share our video clips. High fives. Low fives. Raising the roof. All right. Let's see what happens with that, everyone. <laughs> Nothing, because she finds a better clip. Would you rather... You're probably right. <laughs> would you rather find the shipping manifests or the iPad with the promo videos on? And yes, you can use them to bring down the massive corporation if you saw desire. I feel like... As much as I would love to have the iPad with the promo videos on, because I could potentially use the iPad for other purposes. I feel like the shipping manifests would probably be the most helpful because you can see where the bars have gone and what city you're going to have to go to next. (gasps) That's what happens in the sequel. What we don't realise is that Vivian and Paul and Rachel have secretly managed to find copies of the shipping manifests and been going to different cities to try and get them back and burn down factories and warehouses. And at the same time, but in a different order, Steve has gone back up to the roof and got the originals. So he is also going to the other locations and then they cross paths. Man, we're really good at this. We need to quit our day jobs. Once somebody starts paying us. Yeah, pay pay Waffle House? It's the dream. It's the dream. (laughs) One day. One day. Uh, I agree, I'm going to go with the shipping manifest as well. Because as much as it's nice to have an iPad and think, oh, I can stream some spooky programs on there. um, Those promo videos are already out with the Department of Defense, they're only yeah. going to do so much. Whereas I think the shipping manifests are more dangerous. Like, yeah. if you give them to a reputable journalist or got them online, and because I can't see in Flagstaff that there's not evidence, like video or actual material of those zombies. Mm-hmm. There's too many deaths for it to be hidden up effect- to be hidden effectively. Yeah. So you need some kind yeah. of conspiracy theorist, which will be the outcast in the sequel. Yes. Yes. Who will help yes. you get yes. the word out? I like it. Would you rather go for the van or stay on the roof? Go for the van. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
knowing what happens in the book, I think going for the van is an easier option? Question mark? Because they do yeah. deal with a couple of zombies. Yeah. Whereas And they find help. And they find help and they get transportation. Yeah. While staying on the roof, you're kind of like landlocked because you're just surrounded by a horde. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get off that roof, you're stuck. But knowing what happens in the book, we get inside the building and we find zombie Brian who helps us and then becomes our love interest in book two. That is true. That is true. I'm still going to go for the van. I'm Action Girl. That's what Action Girl would do. That's right. And, well, Paul is a jerk. But he changes. He evolves. Yeah. He thinks he's starting to turn into a courageous captain. Well, because he's a jerk. Of course he's going to think that of himself. (laughs) What a jerk. What a jerk. I feel like Sminkowski can also be a jerk. Oh, yeah. But then Steve stayed on the roof. And you really liked Steve. You might not be a jock, but you, you respected Steve. I did respect Steve, especially when he Donkey Konged the couch. Do you know what a Donkey Kong couch? I want to witness the Donkey Konging of a couch. I think that's fair. With the with our setup that we talked about, <laughs> with with Rachel being on and the baby popping out, <laughs> and then they throw Rachel back up onto the roof and she's perfectly fine and catches the baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. This cinema, this, you can see the cinematics just... Yeah. It's so cinematic. I love it. <laughs> What's our last question? Would you rather have a fat-shaming dad responsible for creating zombies or a fat-shaming stepdad who forces you to go to fat camp even though you do not need to go to fat camp because you're a perfectly fucking healthy human being and it's not his goddamn fucking business so he needs to get his fucking nose out of your business and stop looking at your size. Twat. Sorry. Question. <laughs> um... I'm going to go with the fat shaming dad responsible for creating zombies because then at least you get a Porsche. I get a Porsche. I've got money. I might potentially take over the company in book two and then I'll eventually be taken down at the end, which is fine because I always do enjoy being the villain. So yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I feel like because you're action girl, again, we're just we're just Paul and Vivian again. <laughs> you have to have the second one. You don't have a choice. Fair enough. <laughs> I have a rich mom. She can get me a Porsche instead. That's right. Yeah. Your rich mom can do that. And she'll also pay for your basket case best friend to come with you. She will. And she'll also pay, pay for my therapy that I'll need. When I suffer from survivor's guilt in the second book. Yes. All right. And my vigilantism in the second book as I go around destroying all of the facilities. Yes. You have to have funding for that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Oh my God. Favorite final thought quote? 
there were so many in this book. Like so many good, so many good. Seriously, books. so many, and there were the 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 ran the gamut of being hilarious and having a punch meaning. Yeah. But I'm going to follow on that last book with Would You Rather with, with one little one called My Body Size is None of His Business. That's a good one. Um, oh, this is another Vivian. If something's going to eat my heart out, I'd at least like to know what it is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. What else? We're all guilty or we all feel guilty. Oh, yeah. And the last one, which, obvious reasons, why I love it. I was told Camp Featherlight is the winter home of the Sasquatch. I'm here to prove Bigfoot was real. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Dear listeners, insight. Amanda messaged me (laughs) to say I'm ready for recording. I was like, yes, I'm busy watching a Bigfoot program. Of course you are. Because of course I was. Okay. And yes, I was wearing my Bigfoot cap while I was watching it. Good. What's your quotes? Let's see. I've got four. I've seen every teen slasher movie ever made, which is probably true. I am not sitting here waiting for whatever's out there to pick us off one by one. <laughs> Do not corner something that you know is meaner than you. Well, I'll go out on a limb here and guess that if you don't mind murdering people, not complying with packaging regulations is probably no big deal. (laughs) And finally, it's going to be left to me to hope that those monsters aren't human. Because if they are, that means that they could be us or we could be them. We could have just read the whole book out loud. We probably could have. It probably would have been. But you know what? There was also a really, really, really good audiobook already produced. So. Yeah. Yeah. Go. I would go for the go for the audiobook rather than just listening to us read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it, though. It is very worth it. Yes. All right. Um, if you liked this, try this. What do you got? Um, I've gone one that was recommended to me by Constance last year and I finally, finally read it. And it's got nothing to do with zombies, but it has everything to do with fat shaming and actually having a realistic uh, protagonist. Um, And it is a contemporary romance. So, Amanda, you can switch off for a second. It's really fun though because it's all about fan fiction. So it was actually quite funny. And I'm just going to read the back of the book. It's called Spoiler Alert by um, Olivia Deard. So from the back of the book, Marcus has a secret. While he may be the star of the biggest show on TV, he's also a prolific fan fiction writer. Through his stories, Marcus releases his frustrations with the show. But if anyone ever found out his online persona, he'd be fired immediately. April has secrets of her own. A hardcore fan of Marcus's show, she's long hidden her fanfic and cosplay hobby from her real life. But not anymore. When she dares to post her latest costume creation on Twitter, her plus-size take goes viral. And when Marcus asks her out to spite her critics, truth officially becomes stranger than fanfiction. 
On their day, Marcus quickly realises he wants much more from April than a one-night, one-time publicity stunt. But with so many secrets between them, can they ever stop hiding? Or will a match be made in fandom and never make it in real life? It is a fun read. It was. It's one of these where when the sun's shining and you can just relax, it's a fun read to have. And it's nice to have a plus-size protagonist who, again, is confident and have her counterpart defend her size and it not bother them and mm. it's it, from my perspective this i've never read a book like it oh. so it's really nice to actually have that kind of dynamic that is i nice. will in defense of a lot of authors they don't necessarily mention the size of the protagonists mm-hmm. so it's a site of like pressure somewhat to, for you to think that every person in a book is a, let's say skinny you know size zero or size 12 or whatever you know the societal norm is quote unquote and uh, when it comes to their figure um mm-hmm. so unless it's explicitly stated you don't really know and i think everybody pro- projects what is for what we've been conditioned to project sure yeah so it's nice when it's stated outright that this person is plus size and they are confident and they do have sex. <gasps> shock. Shock. I'm shocked. So, yes, I do highly recommend it. It's a good summary. What have um, you got? I suspect I know because when I was looking through social media last night, I was very excited by a particular book. And it's the one that I shared on our Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. Um wait, no, that that was yours. That was mine. Sorry. Sorry. Um I am suggesting Go Hunt Me. Shocking No One is also by Kelly DeVos. And also Shocking No One, it's about It's Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> this one actually just came out last month. So, brand new vampires author that we have now, you know, latched onto. Alex Rush is ready for the trip of a lifetime. She and her friends have made some creepily awesome films together throughout high school, so with only a few months left before they go their separate ways for college, they're determined to make the best one yet. An epic short film that reimagines the story of Dracula, (laughs) filmed on location at a remote castle in Romania. Hooked already. But when they get there, it's not quite the majestic setting they planned for. Menacing weapons line the walls, the twisted halls are easy to get lost in, and with no connection to the outside world, the group is unexpectedly off the grid. After just a few hours spent under its roof, Alex and her friends have no trouble imagining how this dark, terrifying castle inspired one of the most enduring horror novels of all time. Only soon they no longer have to use their imaginations to understand the location's terrifying history. Just as they're getting the film's first shot rolling, one of Alex's friends disappears, and she's nearly certain she saw a cloaked stranger lurking in the shadows. 
As more members of the group begin to meet an untimely demise, Alex is desperate to stop the bloodshed, even if it means facing a monster she never thought would be let loose. <gasps> Vampires! I'm just going to say, we have a book theme month called Vampire, All Vampires All the Time. All Vampires All the Time. We could do it now. You're right. And I know three vampire books that would be perfectly suited for that month. All vampires all Plus vampire the time. Book. All vampires all the time. Excellent. I'm so excited. Kelly DeVos, honestly, she's risen to... A f- I, 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 if you just handed me a book by her, I would read it straight away. Yep. I'm so impressed. I wonder if we could... Are we going to have to hashtag manifesting Kelly DeVos now? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Come on. I think we're going to have to. She's following us on socials. Yeah, we're going to have to reach out. I think we're going to Or maybe she's listening right now and she'll be like, hell yes, I'll be on your show. That would be amazing. I mean, it depends if you edit this out, but yeah, that would be amazing. I don't think I can edit it out now. Because we're begging. Because we're begging. Manifesting, 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 begging, <laughs> manifesting, manifesting. There we go. <laughs> oh. Our people will reach out to her people, which means yes, we'll do it. Which means we'll send her. We we'll We can only try. Yes, yes. <laughs> we can do it. Do I need to put hashtag manifesting Kelly DeVos on our list? <laughs> I mean, it worked with manifesting Travis Baldry. Spoiler alert, everyone. We're going to have a bonus episode coming up with him later on. Oh, my God. Spoiler alert again. Stop saying spoiler Spoosie. alert. I'm just going to like sit here with the book and be like, woo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. We haven't any spotlight this time. Well, we've been manifesting Kelly DeVos, so of course we haven't got any spotlight yet. But we do. We do have one. We and can have it... it. While I'm manifesting, you, you, you give indie spotlight. You manifest, and I will share the indie spotlight. This one is called Dauntless by Elisa A. Bonin, and it is out August 2nd, so it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. And... We do have a hashtag tenuous link. Yay. It has multiple. It has multiple points of view. Ooh. Also, there's a badass action girl. Sari's world is defined by very clear rules. The beasts prowl the forest paths and hunt the people. Hey, that's another one. That's another tenuous link. <laughs> The valiant explore the unknown world, kill the beasts, and gain strength from the armor they make from them. As an assistant to a shy unbroken, a young valor commander with a near-mythical reputation, Sari has seen firsthand the struggle to keep the beasts at bay and ensure the safety of the trees where the people make their homes. That was how it has always been, and how it always would be. Until the day Sari encounters Dasana. 
Zana is impossibly a stranger from the unknown world who can communicate with the beasts, a fact that makes Sari begin to doubt everything she's ever been taught. As Sari and Tassana grow stronger, their worlds begin to collide with deadly consequences. Somehow, with the world on the brink of war, Sari will have to find a way to make peace. Woo! Action girl. Creatures in the woods. Multiple points of view. It's a perfect fit. It's a almost. Perfect fit it's almost like you know what you're doing. It's almost like I planned it. Weird. What? 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 Oh my crazy. god. It's so crazy. It's so fishy. So that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss All Together Dead by Charlene Harris. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. Also, our live episode is coming up soon. Yay! Woo! 200 episodes! What? Except for we've, act- we've actually had a lot more than 200, but 200 main episodes. So much content all the time, and it's free for everyone. But you should also join our Patreon to give us money. And watch the videos, because you miss things if you don't watch You the miss videos. so many things, because they're unedited, too. There's so much stuff that happens Usually it's in the me messing up the pronunciation of things and making Amanda laugh for ten minutes. Accurate. Yep. Okay. <laughs> the end. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no ER. If you like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>